Okay, again, you heard on the video, but if you're just checking in mentally or if you're just now checking in online, my name is Josh Burnham, lead pastor here at Bethel, and I have the joy of bringing the Word of Christ to you um, through the sermon. We've already sung the Word of God, and now we get to preach, or I get to preach the Word of the Lord. And as we say, every week we gather because of the gospel. That's why we exist as a church. And if you've been here longer than a week, the gospel is simply in a statement, Jesus in I don't know how to respond. Okay, the answer is our place. So we gather because of the gospel. Jesus in our place. We gather because he first gathered us. When we were in our sins and dead and our trespasses, God sent his only son and said, all who believe in my son can be gathered back to me. If, if you're new here and you are trying to figure out what have I gotten myself into uh, we just simply want to say thank you for worshiping with us. We know this because God promises us. If we gather in his name, if there's two or more, so I'm one, if there's one other person here that's gathered in the name of Christ, that he will be here also. So what you get to experience today is the presence of the Lord among his people. And if you don't know Jesus, we pray that today would be the day where you would say yes to Jesus Christ and you would get to experience personally the presence of our Lord and Savior. That's our heart and our heartbeat as a church. As you've seen in the video and as you saw in the bumper video, for the next several weeks, we're going to be worshiping through the different names of Jesus. Not all the names, not even most of the names. But we're going to spend and worship every week with a different name about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, names reveal character. There's a lot in a name. My name's Josh, Joshua. But I, I know that when my parents called me Joshua Neil Burnham, that's a heightened level of security. So Josh is who I was. I, but when they called me my full name, something had changed. And, and so as we see the names of Christ, it's not only knowing his name, but it's knowing more about our Savior. And the more we know about our Savior, the, the more we know about our God. So really, our goal is to draw near the throne of the Lord today as we do every single week. So I'm the pastor, so I get to choose the names the next four weeks. Um, I've chosen the name that I think is the most obvious. You see, we celebrate Christmas. So we're going to look at the name Christ. We don't celebrate jesus must or emmanuel must or messiah must or even Festivus. We celebrate, I'm serious, we celebrate, think about our, the things that we say mean something. We celebrate Christmas. And so today we're going to ask the Lord through his word to help us understand the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Messiah. So join me in the New Testament, the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. And we're going to look at the birth announcements of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. 
One of my favorite things about Christmas, and I think we've seen it even today, for, the, for those who have experienced and tasted that the Lord is good, there's a unique joy when we sing these songs. For unto us a child is born. There's joy in the house of the Lord. I mean, you can't help but sing those and say, God, there is joy. You have come to earth. There is, there is an advent, there is an expectation, an expectation that you are who you say you are. So let's read the birth announcement of Jesus today. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Luke 2, verse 8. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood about them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were afraid. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the city of David, was born for you a Savior who is the Messiah. The CSB says, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, if you have another translation, yours might say, who is Christ, Christos, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Let's go to the Lord. In prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is living and it is active. Lord, we thank you that you are not a stagnant, static God. You are working in this world. You are working on us. Father, you are working on us in eternal weight of glory. Lord, if we have come in here burdened and heavy, help us leave here free and light. Lord, if we have come in here With sadness, may we understand that your joy comes in the morning. Father, if someone has come in here dead in their sins, may they leave here alive with abundant life because of your Son, Jesus, the Messiah. Lord, we don't want to to merely know your name. We want to know you. So help us encounter you in your presence, in your glory, in a fresh way, through your Spirit, by your Son. We ask this in Jesus the Christ, that name we pray, amen and amen. So the name of our Savior Jesus Christ. Now as we begin, I want you to know that the name of Jesus has power. Don't take my word for it. Listen to Philippians chapter 2. Paul says about this name, that at the name of Jesus, just his name, every knee will bow in heaven and upon earth. And under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's power. At the name of Jesus, every single knee in this room will one day bow. So for those of you who come in here and you say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, we bow freely in an act of worship. But we don't just bow once. We're going to bow again one day at his throne. And for you who say, well, I don't believe in Jesus, I will never bow to that God. One day you will. You can bow now in worship or you will one day bow in judgment 
But at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. His name has power. His name also has influence. And I can just demonstrate to you in our world. We live in a secularized world where many people, whether they believe in Christ or not, when they grow frustrated or worry, sometimes the name Jesus Christ can be used in vulgarity or used as a curse. Now, for the Christian, for me to blaspheme and take the name of the Lord God in vain is a sin. should never happen. But I find it fascinating that someone who doesn't even believe in God, in their moment of frustration, believes that the name of Jesus has power and influence. I believe that's God's way of saying, even when you're angry, even when you want to curse, my son is in your heart. He's doing something in your life. And so as we look at the name of Jesus, his name has power, his name has influence. So let's look at the birth announcement one more time. So we're going to ask what, we're going to ask so what, and we're going to ask now what. So what is the name, what does it mean for us, and what does God want us to do? So every week we're going to see the what, the so what, and the now what. Made it easy for all of us. Verse 11. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born to you who is Messiah the Lord. The name Messiah in Greek is Christos. It's literally the English reading of Christ. That's why some versions say Christ and some say Messiah. The Hebrew is Messiah. It simply means the anointed one. So really what the Gospel of Luke is saying and what the announce, announcement from the divine messenger said is this. Today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born. He is the anointed one. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, what does it mean to be anointed? Hold on. We'll get there. That's the what. But God is letting us know that this child born in a manger is anointed. The word anointed is often odd for the English speaker because we don't anoint things anymore. Now we'll use that language to say, wow, that was an anointed sermon or you must be anointed. But the word anointed simply means to pour oil on someone or to smear. Now, in your mind, really quick, I want you to be a Greek speaker for the moment. Imagine a shepherd hearing this for the first time. And they hear the angel say this. Ready? Now unto you is born a Savior in the city of David. He is the one smeared with oil. You're thinking, that's odd. What, what does that mean? That Literally, that's, that's exactly what the angels have announced. And sometimes because we know the rest of the story, we just take it for granted that the angels understood. But they're thinking, okay, God, why is he anointed? Why is he smeared? What's going on in this picture? So to say that Jesus is the Christ, to say that he is the Messiah, and to say that he is the anointed is saying the same thing. Are you, are you with me? So this is Christ, born in the city of David. He is smeared with oil. We have to go back several hundred years to figure out why this is important. The Bible of Jesus was the Old Testament. That's, that's what Jesus 
had. That was the canon of the time of Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, you will not find the word Messiah or Messiah as a technical term in the Old Testament. So if you try to go in the Old Testament and find the word Messiah, you will not see it. But two groups in the Old Testament were anointed. They were the smeared ones, if you will. The first group were men like Absalom and Josiah. Thinking, okay, who's that? Saul, David, Solomon, Zedekiah, Jehu. These were people, these were men who were anointed with oil to become the king. 2 Samuel says it this way. Then the men of Judah came and they anointed King David. They they messiahed him. They poured oil on him, if you will. And they anointed him king over the house of David. Kings were anointed. So don't find it any surprise when you read in Revelation 19, verse 6. This Revelation is the very end of the book, right? So I know we went Old Testament on you, but Revelation is the, this the conclusion of the Bible. And at the very end of the conclusion of the Bible, we hear this about Jesus. Verse 16 says, And Jesus has a name written on his robe and on his thigh. It goes something like this. King of kings and Lord of lords. He is anointed. He is Messiah because Jesus is our king. And he is our Lord. Why is that important? We'll get there. But I want you to know that the angels were announcing, hey, shepherds, don't miss this point. He is the new king. So today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you who is king of kings. But kings were not the only group that were anointed in the Old Testament. There was another group that received the Messiah treatment in the First Testament. That's the Old Testament. These were men described by Leviticus in this way. They had the pouring of oil, the anointing oil on Aaron's head. And he was anointed and he was consecrated. So if kings had the throne seat blessing of anointing, then the high priest, that's Aaron, received the sacred favor of anointing. So not only is Jesus king, but he is now messiahed, he's smeared, he's anointed like the high priest. Why is that important? Don't be surprised when you read in Hebrews, also in the New Testament. Hebrews 3.1 says, Consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. So this is what the angels are hearing. This is what the angels are speaking and the shepherds are hearing. Today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born. He is King of Kings. Today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is your High Priest. That's a lot in a little word, isn't it? That's a lot of history in such a small word. Do you know what the king's relished and what the high priest relished they had a special relationship with Yahweh because of their anointing 
That they had a special, peculiar relationship. For instance, Aaron the priest, he could go into the presence of God and he was the intermediary. He was the one that would go from the people to God and from God to the people. He was the back and forth. If you wanted to be near the Lord, you had to be near the high priest. You see, the high priest had a special relationship with the Lord because of his anointing. And in the same way, if you wanted to know God's will in your life and his authority, you had to know the king. If you wanted to see the leadership of the Lord, look to the throne. The king represented that. So the one who was anointed had a special relationship. Now we're going to see why this is important. So let's go back to Luke 2.11. You're going to read this differently by the time we leave here. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is Messiah, who is Christ, who is King Who is the high priest? He is the Lord. So what? Now, I doubt the shepherds were bold enough or foolish enough to ask that question. One, because I know they were terrified. The Bible says so, right? When the angels pronounce the glory of the Lord... It says that that they were terrified in verse 9, and then the angel said, Hey, guys, don't be afraid. This is good news of great joy for all people. But I have to imagine in their minds, the shepherds were asking, Okay, so what? Why is this important, and why do we need to know about it? We're, We're shepherds. All we have to worry about is keeping the sheep healthy. Right now, we're trying to keep them warm. And then we need to lead them to green pastures. Then we need to lead them to cool waters. I don't think they could have missed it, though. Because the angel is very clear. The announcement. Today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born. He is what? He is Christ, the Lord. Now, it's interesting. There's no indefinite article. It doesn't say, the angel doesn't say there is a Christ. It doesn't say he's a Messiah. It says that he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And as we see this, we must ask, how does Jesus the Christ change our lives? So we need to start with the king. Why do you need a king? I know you're Americans. I know you're Westerners. And often the idea of kings and kingdoms can can seem antiquated in our minds. But we need to understand that Israel waited over 900 years almost. Really it was 586 plus years for a king to be on the throne. And they they waited 900 years for the Lord to keep his promise. You see, hundreds of years ago before Jesus, God promised David this promise. He said, David, one day... I will send you someone who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now when you hear that, what do you expect? You expect God to keep his promise. What did God promise? Well, that there will be a man on the throne. So Israel was looking 
and longing for a political king, a physical throne. Because if we're honest, we like people that we can follow, don't we? That's why the first king of Israel was a big tall man named Saul. Um, Don't worry that he was hiding when God called him to, to lead, but they wanted someone tall and strong to lead them into battle. So Israel is saying, God, give me someone to to lead and then I will follow. But they didn't realize that the Lord had a greater kingdom and an eternal plan. God was going to fulfill his promise, but he was going to do it in a greater way. And that's the reminder in our lives. Sometimes you're holding out hope. God, will you fulfill your promise like I want you to fulfill your promise? And God always fulfills his word, but he does it more than we can expect. God has eternal plans for our temporary purposes. God has everlasting kingdoms for our little temporary kingdoms. I'm so thankful for a God who's not limited by my temporary plans and joys. Israel was longing for this. The coming Messiah was a visible reminder that God's kingdom had come. You see, Jesus is not a God. He is the God Jesus is God in flesh. And we're going to see later on that the name Christ is the dividing line. You either know him and follow him or you do not know him and you do not follow him. And you cannot know God the Father except through his son, his only son, Jesus Christ. Have you ever felt like Israel? Have you ever looked at your world and maybe looking at the brokenness of your life And just cried out, God, why are you taking so long? I have. Just read the news. Look at school shootings. Look at children who are dying and people who are abused and taken advantage of. And I read these articles and I say, God, where are you? God, why are you making us wait? Israel was asking the same question. Israel, who was threatened by Rome and who was under siege by Rome, was saying, God, our world is under siege and we live in a war-torn place. God, where are you? And I've found in my life that when Jesus came into the world, he was saying to you who are under siege, you can be part of a better kingdom. If you've ever felt like your world is torn and broken, God has a better kingdom for you. And his name is Jesus Christ. And God is inviting Israel in. He's saying the kingdom is now for sinners and the kingdom has come. You don't have to wait. The kingdom is here. But there's a second fulfillment that we see in Jesus the Christ. And now you might be asking, okay, I know I need a king Because we're living in a place at war spiritually. So why do I need a high priest? It's a great question. Well, we see in the the Bible that if kings and kingdoms seem ancient, I believe the domain of priests and temples feel equally distant. But what if I told you that by God's word, you could never be in his presence? Now you're thinking, well, no one can tell me what to do. Okay, you want to go into God's presence on your own terms? Let me know how that works for you. Because God is so holy that God set up healthy boundaries for his people. 
It's the same guy that when he spoke to Moses, Moses came down to the people, Moses' face was glowing, and the people said, we're going to die. Get away from us. And so Moses veiled his face. That's the God that we serve. That's the holiness and the glory of an infinite, supreme being. So God told his community, you can't be in my presence. I am holy, you are not. So I'm going to give you a priest. And the priest can only come into my presence one time a year. You go to the priest, he comes to me once a year, and I will offer you forgiveness. You see, sinful people cannot be in in the presence of a holy God. I love what Jonathan Edwards said about our sin. Let me put this in perspective for you. Edwards said, God is... But God is a being infinitely lovely because he hath infinite excellence and beauty. So infinite holiness, infinite excellence, infinite beauty. Sin against God is a violation of infinite obligations. You see, if if you feel like your sin is small and insignificant, you don't see your sin from God's perspective. Edwards continues, he said, Your sin, my sin, must be a crime infinitely heinous and so deserving infinite punishment. Let me give it to you in 2021 language. As you sit today, you and I can never go into the presence of God. You wouldn't even make it to his shadow because we are sinful. And so God says, you can never be with me. But the high priest can come for you. And when Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus says to you and to me, I, your perfect high priest, will make a way. That's why Hebrews says that we can approach the throne of God with boldness where you and I will find mercy in our time of need because of Jesus Christ. Why do you need a king? Because you and I need to be part of a kingdom that will last forever. Why do you and I need a high priest? Because we can't come to God on our own. And Jesus Christ has opened the door for you and for I to be in the presence of a holy God. That's good news, y'all. That's really good news. Of great joy. And it's for all people. How do I know? Because who was the birth announcement to? Did you, did you catch that? Shepherds. The angels in this way did not come to Mary and Joseph, the parents. So we know that the shepherds were not family members. As they say in Mississippi and Alabama, they weren't even second cousins. You know, in, in, in Alabama, everyone's a cousin, right? Yeah, that's my cousin. And you ask them, well, how are you related? I don't know. What's not your cousin then? They weren't even cousins in the South. They weren't family. And so God is announcing to people who are outsiders the fact that they can be part of the family of God. And they weren't part of the religious cult, the religious elite. Shepherds were unclean people. Spiritually they were unclean and physically they were unclean. They they smelled like sheep. You didn't invite them to Christmas dinner. Because those weren't people that you would have at the dinner table. 
And God is telling double outsiders, people who are on the fringe of society, you can be part of this new kingdom. You don't have to be a priest to come into the presence of God. You can even be a shepherd. And I don't know about you and me, but some of us are outsiders. Some of us didn't start off as elite. Some of us didn't start off in the family of God. We were dead in our sins and we were abused and abandoned and wandering and worried. And to, if you ever felt like that, weary and worn, to you God says, come see my child. To you is good news. To you is great joy. To all people. That's the so what. But maybe the shepherds were asking, okay, God, what do we do with this? Now now what? And I'm so thankful for the Gospel of John because the Gospel of John gives us the now what. In John 20, it's the final verse of that chapter. It's right after the resurrection, right after the crucifixion. John is, is clear to those who are receiving his word. And he says it in this way. But I have written you these things. John says, I have written you 20 chapters for this reason. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. The King of Kings. The High Priest. The Son of God. And that by believing... That's key. That by believing, you may have life in his name. You see, John was writing to two groups of people. He's writing to those that were feuding and saying, well, Jesus is not the only way. He's not the only truth. And he's not the only life. And there's another group that were saying, no, we believe Jesus at what he said. We believe Jesus is the way. We believe that he is the truth. We believe that he is the life. We believe What the angels told us, that he is the Messiah, that he is the anointed one. He was the one smeared with oil with a special relationship. He is the priest that gives us access. You see, there is a dividing line, and John says very clear, I have written you these things, church, that you might believe, and that by believing in the name of Jesus, you might have eternal life. You see, at its core, Christmas is the worship of Christ. Christmas is the worship of Christ. It's Christos, right? Ha, Christos, Christmas. But the word mass comes from the Latin. It means the worship. It's the worship of a God who is only the one who is worthy to receive our worship. Only Christ is worthy to be worshipped in this way. And you might not know Latin, but in the old Latin masses, they would end mass with this challenge. And it's where they get the word mass from. In Latin it goes this way, Ite misa est. Anyone want to take a stab? It means this, Go, you are sent. The worship of Christmas is God telling the world, telling those who have believed, go, you are sent. To the shepherds, God says, go. 
you are sent. And as we think about Jesus, our Christ, that, that verse 11, today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you who is the anointed King of Kings. God was saying to his son Jesus, Jesus, go, you are sent so that they might come to us. God was saying to his son, Jesus, you need to go die for the shepherds so that they might, they might come into our presence. God was saying to his only son, Jesus, you need to go live a sinless life and die for those in St. Clair County that they can come into our presence one day that they can be washed of their sin, that they can be part of an everlasting kingdom. See, Christmas is about Jesus being sent so that we might know him, believe, and have abundant life. But don't forget the high priest portion. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you who is the anointed high priest. Church, you can approach the throne of God because Jesus came. You can be part of a better kingdom because Jesus came. When we think about Christ and we think about Christmas, it literally means Christ and the worship of Him who is sent. So what do we do with a God like this? You go tell everyone. If this is really true, the world needs to know. Because the angel said, this is good news of great joy. And it's for who? It's for all people. Cousins and not cousins. Shepherds and the religious elite. It's for the worn and the tired. It's for the broken and the beaten. It's for the sinners and it's for the saints. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, he came so that you might go into his presence. You have no hope on your own, but if you would confess your sins and say, God, I'm sorry, I believe that Jesus is the only way. Forgive me, Father. Forgive me of my sin. The Bible says it this way. Whoever calls upon the name of Christ will be saved. I can just imagine to you, God is saying from heaven, Josh, I thought you would never ask. I sent my son that you might come to me. Come to him today and be forgiven. Church, if you know him, we can't just sit on this news. We can't pretend that good news is not good. We can't pretend that great joy is little joy. And we can't pretend that the good news for all people is only good news for some. So how do we respond in Christmas? We go. If you are burdened and weary today, would you come to his throne and say, God, I need you again. Refresh me. Restore me. God, be my priest. God, be my king. Because today, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, your King and your priest. And we give him the glory and the honor. Let's pray. Father.